This morning we're continuing our sermon series through the book of Ecclesiastes, considering the words of Solomon, the preacher king. Where this we are in Ecclesiastes chapter three this morning. This is God's word. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek A time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone would eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever and nothing be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that the people fear before him. That which is already has been and that which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beast for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and to dust shall return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. What can bring him to see what will be after him? This is God's word. Father, we pray that as we consider your word this morning, you would open our hearts and give us understanding in our minds so that we might see your truth. And in seeing what we might believe the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen our faith now through your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, that sound of a clock tiff ticking. It always has a different effect on you at different times in life, at different moments. And sometimes you might find that pattern of a clock ticking uh, somewhat peaceful as it kind of chimes out this sense of order and structure. 
But other times, that sound of a clock ticking is an unending and constant pulse of anxiety. It's an ongoing song singing that the the moments are slipping by. Time is going away. You cannot go back and reclaim it. Another deadline is on the horizon. And soon the future will be here and it will be the now. A clock, though, is simply a tool, an instrument, and a long line of instruments by which we measure time from sundials to calendars to the changing landscape of the seasons. Well, Ecclesiastes 3 brings us face to face with yet another inescapable reality of our life under the sun. And this time, it is all about time. The first eight verses, like time itself, are this this rhythmic and, and balanced poetry portraying the the up and down march of our lives in accordance with time. And so Solomon, the preacher king, as he calls himself uh, as the author of this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's already laid out for us that life under the sun often seems meaningless and how we must look instead to that life above the sun that is offered us in Christ our Lord. What we do on this earth often seems to make no sense. It, it seems to be no profit, no gain to us. And no matter how we try to change the world and the way it functions, we can't seem to do it. And nowhere does that become more evident than when it comes to time. Because we can't stop its flow. We can't change its course. Even though we're fascinated with the possibility of that. And how much of our fiction, our popular fiction in film and books, revolve around this idea of time travel. But the interesting thing about every story regarding time travel is that while the characters in those stories move back and forth throughout time in cool cars like DeLorean's, While they do that, they cannot ultimately master time. In fact, if they try to change it, usually what happens is dire and disastrous consequences. You see, as humans, we know that time has control over us. We can't master it. It limits us. It governs our lives from the time we're born to the second we die. Sometimes that makes us rather uncomfortable. We don't like the limitation, the unpredictability that comes through the ticking of the clock. Because it reminds us that life in this world under the sun is indeed short. And there are many things outside of our control. But here in Ecclesiastes 3, what we learn, and especially as believers is that while we cannot control time, we can know the one who does. And so it is our lack of control of over time that can actually be a blessing to us because it points us to the one who is the master of time. And the first thing we see even in this poem is that time tells a story, a story that we really don't have any control over Time tells a story. It tells both the big story of the entire world from the beginning of creation to the present. 
And it tells our individual stories, the stories of our lives as people on this earth. My life and your life are written as a story by the words of time. We, we mark our lives by it. We have birthdays and anniversaries. We remember the passing of, of loved ones. And so the preacher says here, there is a time for every matter under heaven. And then notice in this, this poem how he uses extreme opposites. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There are times of joy and times of sorrow. There are times to build things and to tear them down. There are times of war and times of peace. Times to embrace, times to refrain from embracing. And the point of showing these polar opposites, these, op- these extremes, is to call the attention to the middle. That silent middle that he doesn't talk about. Because that's where the story happens. That's where everything takes place. All of it is in that middle. That is the story of our lives and the story of generations that have gone on before us. And time is the very thing that makes all those stories similar to one another. Now, not every birth is exactly the same. The details aren't the same. Every baby weighs differently. They come into this world differently. And not every death is the same. But every person has a birth and every person has a death. Every person's life is marked by a beginning and an ending. In other words, all things that happen are enclosed, encased by time a beginning and ending. An interesting thing about this story that time tells, as we see outlined in this poem here, is that things are always changing, but they are never new. Again, we see these polar opposites, birth and death, planting, plucking up, killing, healing, breaking down, building up, mourning and laughing. In every event, every moment has its time. That means both the good and the bad. Sometimes life goes well, sometimes it does not. And there is this constant up and down. Everything is always changing. It is never concrete. Time tells us that. One moment there is peace and another moment there is war. It's a similar idea that we saw back in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes where the preacher described for us the the changing cycles of the earth and the sun and the wind and water. And despite this rhythm, this cycle that goes on, one thing changing to another and all this change, there is still nothing new. Because the same things continue to happen again and again. People are born and people die. Buildings are built. Buildings are torn down. War ends. Peace comes. And another war begins. That is the story of this world. It is a paradox of changing events, but nothing becoming new. We simply experience the same things that people have always experienced. And time tells us this. Another thing we notice about this poem here, about time 
and the events that happen within time, telling the story of our lives and the story of this world, is that this story is not without its dark parts. It is not without its warts, its ugliness, its difficult times. Because the preacher talks about a time for death, a time for killing, a time for weeping, a time for separation, a time for losing, a time for tearing things down, even a time for hatred, a time for war. See, time itself has not been left untouched by the curse of sin. So much so that time itself adds to the ugliness of sin upon this world. Through the passage of time, things wear down. Things fall apart. They erode. We see the corruption around us. In fact, we know this personally as we age, do we not? The things that we once were able to do when we were younger, we find we can no longer do them now that we are older. Or we, when we do do them, it is with great difficulty. My son, Zach, is trying to do this running challenge for the summer. And I don't know why, but I said, hey, I'll, I'll do it with you. <laughs> I wanted to spend time with him. I thought something we can do together. But I tell you what. First couple times I have gone out, my body has told me, you know what, you can't, you don't do this as well as you used to. (laughs) I definitely felt it. Time does that. It wears things down. Another aspect of this ugliness that time reveals in the story, though, is just the unpredictability of evil and sin. It springs up when you're not expecting it. It is always there, lurking at the door of your heart, In the time for death, which is the effect for sin, and the time of killing, the time of war, the time for tearing and breaking things down, they come without warning. We have no control over when these things happen in the world. I mean, who would have thought that in our lifetime we would have seen another war on the continent of Europe? And who would have expected that we would have experienced a pandemic in our lifetime? Who expected the Western world to be given over to this modern pagan code of morality which utterly debases and erases the image of God in people? It comes so quickly without warning. And we cannot master it. We cannot master time. And the reality of that truth causes the preacher again in verse 9 to say, what gain, what profit has the worker from his toil? What's the point of life in this world? Because at the end of our lives, at the end of this story, there is just a grave in the ground. This rhythm of our lives we cannot control. The story is being written in. We don't have control over it. Things happen with unpredictability. And the clock is always ticking. Each and every second pushes you closer and closer to that inevitable end of your life. And what are you going to have to show for all the struggles and every event that takes place? 
What will be the reward of all these subtle twists and turns of our lives from the intrinsic nuances, from the ugly times and the good times, from the complexity and the subtlety of life? It all seems to be for nothing. It seems so futile. And so again, here we are at one of these great themes of this book of Ecclesiastes that life under the sun does become rather meaningless if it is just life under the sun. And the very passage of time itself doesn't add any meaning to that life because there's no way to control it, to master it. It is a story being told which you are not writing. But thankfully, thankfully, there is one who is the master of time, and it is God. As the preacher tells us in verses 10 and 11, he says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. God makes everything beautiful in its time. See, life is not a chaotic happenstance. Nothing is random, but every time, every event is ordered and organized and planned and structured by Almighty God according to His wisdom and His mercy and His grace and His sovereign will. The preacher says here that God makes everything beautiful in its time. It's the same word you see back in Genesis 1 when God creates the world. He makes all that exists. In fact, it's the same word you see uh, describing what God did for His people of Israel during the Exodus, leading them out of bondage in Egypt. He made them to be His people. And Jesus made Himself to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And Jesus, in accordance with His divine nature, is making all things new, according to Revelation 21.5. And you see, what it is then is, is the creative power of Almighty God that masters time. And that's why we could never do it. Because we are not God. But God can And He has, and He does, and He makes all things beautiful in their time. By beautiful, what the preacher means here is appropriate or or suitable. Everything happens at the exact moment it was supposed to happen, never too soon, nor too late. All things have their purpose under the sun so that God might fulfill His great purpose of redemption in this world. And that includes the ugly things, the bad times, along with the good times. Now, from our perspective as humans under the sun, like the preacher, we don't always see that. We don't see the big picture of what God is doing. We don't understand why things happen when they do. But God does, because as we see, He has planned all things 
to bring about his great purpose. There is an order. There is a structure. Thus the preacher says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. He has an eternal plan. His purposes never change. They are always sure. And so it seems like things are always changing. With God, they never do. And all of that is designed so that we might fear Him. That is to say that we might stand in awe of Him. We might worship Him as He rightly deserves. But contrast God then with us as humans. As the preacher says in verse 11, God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We want to understand the big picture, why things are happening the way they are. And sometimes we get glimpses of it, but we don't understand always the great purpose behind every event. We can't see the beginning from the end, what God is doing. The points in our story are marked by time and they make zero sense to us. But God sees all of it. And if we could only see how He sees it, it would begin to make sense. There's a great scene in the book, The Horse and His Boy. Yes, this is another Narnia illustration. But it's a beautiful scene where Shasta, the boy, and Bree, the horse, they have just been chased by roaring the sound of roaring lions. And they encounter then this mysterious voice, which of course is the voice of Aslan the lion. And he brings comfort to Shasta and he he says, tell me your sorrows. And Shasta proceeds to tell him his whole miserable life story, how he never knew his real parents, how he was brought up by cruel fishermen, uh, how he escaped with the horse for his life, how he was chased by lions through the desert. He was hounded by beasts at night and how he didn't have anything to eat. And then Aslan replies to him after he lays out this whole miserable life story. He says, I do not call you unfortunate, said the large voice. Don't you think it was bad luck to meet so many lions, said Shasta. There was only one lion, said the voice. What on earth do you mean? I have just told you there were at least two lions the first night and there was only one, but he was swift of foot. How do you know? I was the lion. And as Shasta gaped with open mouth and said nothing, the voice continued. I was the lion who forced you to join with Aravis. I was the cat who comforted you among the houses of the dead. I was the lion who drove the jackals from you as you slept. I was the lion who gave the horses new strength of fear for the last mile so that you would reach King Lun in time. And I was the lion... You do not remember who pushed the boat in which you lay a child near death so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. That's how God works. He is the master of all things, even the miserable things. And He is using them to bring us to that point where we might know Him for all eternity and where He makes all things right. He is the Lord who controls 
all time. And it becomes most clear when you look into the life of Jesus Christ. As Paul writes in Galatians 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those, that is us, who are under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. So Jesus came into this world not too soon and not too late, but just at the right time that God had planned. There was a time for Him to be born. And of course, there was a time for Jesus to die. Jesus died not at some random undetermined point in history, but on the very day, at the very hour, the very minute, the very second that God had determined. As Romans 5 says, For while we were weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. There was a time in Jesus' life to speak. He preached the gospel of the kingdom saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And there was a time for Jesus to remain silent. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, says Peter in 1 Peter 2. When he was scoffed, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And there was a time for Jesus to mourn as he did before the, the grave of his friend Lazarus, as he did over the city of Jerusalem for their failure to repent and believe the gospel of his kingdom. There was a time for Jesus to embrace as he welcomed sinners, prostitutes, corrupt tax collectors, and lowly fishermen who came to him to know peace and forgiveness of their sins. And there was a time for Jesus to refrain from embracing as he cast out the wicked money changers from the temple and as he rejected the Pharisees for their prideful refusal to repent and believe his gospel. There was a time for Jesus to come to this earth and there was a time for him to leave it through his ascension. There was a time for him to be born and to die and there was a time for him to return once again. Indeed, God is the master of time because it is his creation. He entered into that creation in the person of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through him he is making all things beautiful in their time. But what about those ugly things in that story that time writes? What about the ugly things in our life? What about death and hate and killing and war and breaking down and disease and mourning? What about all the injustice and all the evil and all the sin that does stand in the place of righteousness? Since God is the master of time, He is also the master of those things. And He will do what needs to be done to make all things right in time. You see, the preacher shows us here in Ecclesiastes 3 that time doesn't cover over sin. He makes an observation in verse 16. He says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And that's the great injustice of this world. That is why things that are good are called evil, and what is good is, is called uh, evil, and what is evil is called good. In the place 
where there should be righteousness, we find wickedness. And in the place of justice, there is injustice. Our sense of justice under the sun is just warped and and twisted by the sinfulness of this world. And despite this, we groan for real justice. We long for it. Our hearts ache for things to be made right. But far too often what happens in this world is that people try to bury evil in the past to cover it with time. They try to hide sin, the ugly parts of our life story in those days gone by. And when people do that, it leads to the situation where wickedness stands in the place where righteousness ought to stand. But time is a poor cover in the eyes of God who is the master of it. And so the preacher writes in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, and there is a time for every matter and for every work. God will judge in time. He has appointed a time in which He will judge all people, all nations, all things. And that means that all sin, every injustice, all the evil of the world cannot be buried under the shadow of history. For God sees it. He is not limited or bound as we are by the clock. And at the appointed time, He will reach back into history and take hold of every evil deed, every sin, every transgression of His law. Nothing will escape Him. For He is not like us. He is far above us. He is our Creator. That is the whole point of these unusual verses in 19 through 21. Well, the preacher makes this comparison between people and animals. And he's not trying to say that we as humans are animals. That is not what he is saying. That would actually be contrary to what we see in the Scriptures that show that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are made in God's very image. But what he is saying is that like animals, we are created beings. And we have an end just like animals as created beings beings. Thus, God is our Creator. And He is able then, since He is our Creator and above us, and the Maker of all things, including time, to reach back and take every injustice and sin and bring it under the light of His holiness and His judgments and bring once and for all righteousness into the place where it belongs. And so while there may be wickedness for now, it is just for now. Because there is yet a time coming when God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord and master of time, will judge all things. And what that means then is that if you are a believer, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, You do not need to be anxious over when things will happen in this life. But you are free to enjoy life according to God's purposes, trusting in His perfect justice, knowing that He will make all things right at their proper time. Back in verse 11, 
where the preacher observes that God made everything beautiful or suitable for its time and that man cannot understand what God has done from beginning to end. That is to say, he can't make sense of why life is full of these bad times and good times. He then follows with this instructive insight. He says, I perceive, verse 12, that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. We saw similar language back in chapter 2, recognizing that God does give us good gifts to enjoy under this sun while we wait for that time yet to come. And so that amazing truth applies to the passage of time as well. We can recognize This life is a pattern of good times and bad times, beautiful parts and ugly parts of that story that God is writing. And that pattern is not mere happenstance, but is part of God's purpose plan to bring redemption not only to us, but to the world. And so we don't have to try to control time. We don't have to try and build time machines. And we certainly should not try to bury our sin in the past. But come to God who is merciful and ready to receive us and forgive us through Christ our Lord. Because He makes all things beautiful in their time. We can trust His perfect wisdom. We can slow down and enjoy the good things that God gives us in this life while they are here, while we wait for that great day when all things will be put right. You know, it is the height of idolatry to think that we can change the flow of time and write that story of our life. It's not something God has given us to do. For he is the master of time. So we can stop then trying to play God and instead start living by faith in him who has perfect control over all things and rest in his sovereign care over our lives. Even the bad parts, the ugly parts of that story, knowing that he is working to make all things new. See, the message of Ecclesiastes 3 isn't just to accept things as they come. In case sara, things will be what will be. Just roll with the punches. That would be fatalism. But the message of Ecclesiastes 3 is simply this. Trust in God who is far above you. Trust in God who is your creator, who is the author of all things, who has written your story and determined what will be and makes all things beautiful in their time. Trust the Lord. Worship Him. Enjoy the life He gives you. Knowing that there will be bad times and there will be good times under the sun. But all this is written in that eternal wisdom of God who has loving, infinite care over you. And one day, 
that not yet part of the story will come to pass. One day, Jesus our Lord will make all that is wrong right again. For God makes all things beautiful in their time. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the grace of your gospel that is ours in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are thankful that while we have no control over the history of this world, over time itself, that things happen, we do know the one who does have control, for it is you who has authored our lives, and we can rest in you. So help us to enjoy the good gifts you give us. Help us to walk in the newness of the gospel. And Lord, may we find rest and peace in your perfect wisdom for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.